Hello and welcome to another weekly edition of Popcorn Optional, a movie podcast where we talk all things movies. And this week, we are reviewing Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut, Molly's Game, which he also wrote. We'll also be talking Golden Globes nominees, do another segment of Honorable Mentions, and at the end, as always, we will give you our content of the week that you should check out. Tonight, I am joined by my co-hosts, Jake Brown and Trevor Allison. What's up? Hello. I am Cameron Salina, and so let's get into our first thing for the night, which is the Golden Globes. I'm not a huge fan of the Golden Globes, and I'm not, you know, we'll talk about this when we get to the Oscars, but the Golden Globes always feel like the minor leagues of movie awards, if you will, um, but they are of note as far as being an eye into how people are viewing uh, movies this year, and so... You know, the Golden Globes does their best picture as two categories. They give a best picture for drama and a best picture for musical or comedy because those two should never be blended. Um, and so best picture for drama went to three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and best picture uh, musical or comedy was Lady Bird, which we have yet to talk either of those on the podcast, I think. No, we haven't. Um, I, I haven't seen them still, which is driving me nuts. Yeah, me too. I'd, I'd really like to see them both. I'm cooler on Lady Bird than I think most critics are. It's good. It's fine for what it is, but I don't like some I it's good. It's not like the greatest movie of all time as Rotten Tomatoes was saying for a little bit there, but, but Three Billboards Outside of Missouri was a movie that when I saw it, I was like, "Wow, that was pretty good. That was really good acting." Um, but then as I've like sat and thought about it, it's I've loved it more and more. And that's a film that when we do our top 10 in a couple weeks, right now it's in my honorable mentions, but there's a chance that it grows even more as it has the past couple weeks and goes even higher on that list. Um, Other couple of things worth nominating or worth talking about. Um, Frances McDormand won best actress in a drama for three billboards. Gary Oldman finally won something. And for the darkest hour, uh, Lady, Bo- Lady Bird, Sarah Cironin run for musical comedy. James Franco won for The Disaster Artist, uh, at which point he tried to bring Tommy Wiseau up on stage, and then Tommy Wiseau tried to give a thank you speech instead of James Franco. <laughs> That's like uh, the Allison- most accurate thing of that person. That's just I mean, like think about it. The character of Tommy Wiseau. That guy. What if he's been playing a character the whole time? Like for the last fifteen years. Yeah, screw what if Tommy Day not Lewis, actually all American. This is method acting, right? Oh now. my gosh. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Nineteen years after he released or maybe not nineteen, I think it's like sixteen years after he released this. Uh he is now at the Golden Globes and has inspired something that won an award. Which is just Yeah. I mean uh, <laughs> crazy. That's crazy. the most backwards thing I've say- ever heard. Of of the people who were not famous before someone played them in a film, he has become the most famous. Yes. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I, like Aaron Brockovich is another one of those people like that were like real people. No one knew who they were until they made a movie about their insane life. Well, even yeah. like in general biopics, like the first Steve Jobs movie, he was played by Ashton Kutcher. Like, what a bummer. And that's yeah. Steve Jobs. 
Whereas like in this, Tommy Wiseau gets played by James Franco, one of the best actors in Hollywood. And with the rest of the cast and crew, I mean, he came out on top. I would say he came out on top on that one. Tommy wanted Johnny Depp to play him, but instead got James Franco. Uh, Which is funny to me. Johnny Depp would have been too much. What's funniest to me about that is that he had thought about somebody playing him in a movie. And was like, you know, if somebody ever plays me in a movie, I want it to be Johnny Depp. (laughs) My other favorite thing about uh, the disaster artist is the fact that, like, I listened to an interview with James Franco, and he was talking about Greg Sestero, who his brother plays in the movie, and is who Tommy's best friend in the movie, and in real life. Uh, And (laughs) James said there was a day on set where Greg Sestero walked up to him and was like, when I was 24, I met Tommy. When you were 24, you met Seth Rogen. How did I get so unlucky? And that's <laughs> that's maybe one of my favorite behind the scenes uh, of this movie. Oh, man. Yeah. So ultimately, it was a pretty good year for offbeat biopics at the yes. Golden Globes. I mean, Alice plus and Winston Janney. Churchill. Yeah. Alice and Janney even got a nomination for playing Tanya Harding's mom in I, Tanya. Or got she, a, got a, she won for. She, she got a victory. She got a victory. She has a oh, glow, but she's not a mensch. No. Yeah, I don't even want to revisit that because I still stand by that, but at the same time, <laughs> still love her. But what's weird about that was like she thanked Tanya Harding and talked about like I feel like I'm misremembering this whole Tanya Harding thing. Didn't she hire somebody to? hit nancy kerrigan with a metal pipe it was her yeah her oh, yeah. ex-husband and somebody else some thugs that he was involved with um yeah they they kneecapped nancy kerrigan in the parking lot so why are we thanking her and acting like she's this like no she's she's definitely not a good person but she was like at the golden globes everybody was like celebrating her and being like you know for you to be such an outsider and have made it within ice skating i was just like i'm sorry i don't think she's the victim in that situation well (laughs) i i I agree with you i would recommend watching a 30 for 30 uh that's on this uh, the price of gold i think is what it's called i don't know if that's actually what it's called um that's what it's yeah but she she was kind of a vic victim of circumstances of her life that put her in the position to rationalize a kneecapping (laughs) <laughs> which is if you ever find yourself doing that stop call your dad you got things to talk about even angela martin have, decided that a kneecapping was a bad idea i have uh, for real no and no that, that trevor that trevor she went from trevor. murder to kneecap this is that oh that's true still bad that's true you're right i'm sorry <laughs> I'll say I have no respect for someone who hires someone else to hurt someone for them. Just take care of it yourself. Oh, Trevor. <laughs> Hold on, man. Do we need to do we need to talk about something? I are mean, you, are you wait, planning no, a kneecapping? Here, I'm going to contextualize that. If you're going to do something like that, you need to have the guts to take care of it yourself. You can't push your dirty work onto other people. Not cool. This has been but, how to how to commit a crime. Uh, how to get away with murder season 4. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Let's let's switch gears for a second and talk about not usually our realm, but the TV Globes and how on earth Master of None, the best show on television, does not win best comedy series. 
Aziz Ansari won. He did, but that so, the show is not him. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Well, it's it's him, but the it's not his acting that makes the show. He's great in it, right. but Supposedly, that's not what the show is. Allegedly, the Marvelous Miss Maisel is very good. I haven't seen either, but just taking the opposite side and playing devil's advocate, I've heard very, very good things about Marvelous Miss Maisel. I haven't seen Marvelous Miss Maisel, so respect to her, I'm sure. But she is marvelous. the second season of... The second season of Master of None is like a pantheon level of television. It's like one of the all time great. One of the best movies I watched this year was Master of yeah, None season two. Yeah, for real. It's <laughs> okay. I had a joking conversation with my wife about this, but I was legitimately I was going through my top ten of the year as it sits right now, and I was like, I would be willing to bet Jake in some way puts like uh, Stranger Things season two. Or Master of None season two in his top ten. Absolutely, I might do so, that as well. Okay, so let me ask you this then, and this is getting off topic, but I, I want to have this talk. What at what point is a TV show a movie? I think if it's doing like it's kind of like a mini series, you know, like we look at mini series or a limited series or a motion picture made for television differently than a television series. And I think if it's something that's like of such a high quality that's telling long form narrative stories and tackling things that television, like broadcast television, cannot, I put that in a different category than just quote television. And it has to have it has to have a singular theme and a singular narrative. Yeah. Okay. That's which, which Master of None doesn't 100% fit that because it's not a completely singular narrative, but it basically is. Okay. I mean, Stranger Things is, of course. <clears throat> yeah. No, I think that that's fair. I was just, I'm always curious what constitutes that to certain people because I feel like everybody has a different definition uh, slightly, but it all kind of varies around, you know, if it's long form continuous story. Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, and it has to do with with coming off that it has to do with like plot structure. Like can you divide it into exposition, rising action, climax, falling action, resolution or first, second, third act? Most broadcast shows have those things in one episode. Yeah. Um whereas with Stranger Things, sometimes the episodes do, but not always. It's the whole season acts as those is those plot elements. Right. And I would say that if if it does happen in Stranger Things, it's in a subplot. It's never in like the main plot that it has right. that in a single episode. Rounding out the awards would be Guillermo del Toro winning Best Director for Shape of Water, which we also haven't seen, but I'm just pumped that Guillermo del Toro finally won something. Yeah, he's great. So going into Oscar season, what this looks like then is that Three Billboards and Lady Birds seem to be the top pictures going into Oscars. What's weird about that is that three billboards is definitely a, it feels a lot more like a comedy than a drama, but that's okay. But it's, it's interesting that there are movies like um, Dunkirk and shape of water and the disaster artist and get out. And uh, there are just so many good films. And I feel like this is one of the first years in a long time where, you know, every year there's like that, like last year it was like, uh, well, it's probably going to be La La Land. And if not, then it's going to be Moonlight. 
And, you know, every year there's that film that's like, well, it's probably going to be this. And honestly, I think that it could be any film this year. Like, it would not surprise me if Star Wars got nominated for Best Picture this year. Um, <laughs> we've, we've got this weird... Dunkirk is this strange film for awards where there's like a somewhat realistic chance that it wins Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Editing, but doesn't have a nominee in anything else. Right. Which is sort of a bizarre kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's going to be a weird year for the Oscars, but those nominations come out January 24th, early that morning. But Trevor, what's interesting is you bring up cinematography and the American Society of Cinematographer nominations came out today. Um, have you guys, this just came out before I, or after I sent out show notes. Did you guys have a chance to look at what the nominations I've were? Not, I've not seen them, but I know that Blade Runner and Dunkirk are on the list. Blade Runner um, and Dunkirk are on the list. I'm pulling them up because, right now. Because of course they are. The other three, so Roger Deakins is nominated for Blade Runner 2049. Bruno Del Bonnel is nominated for Darkest Hour. Hoyt Van Hoytma for Dunkirk. Dan Lauston for The Shape of Water, and Rachel Morrison for Mudbound. And Rachel Morrison is now the first woman ever nominated at the ASC for cinematography or for a feature film. I need to watch Mudbound. I kind of forgot about it. It's on Netflix. I'm like, how have we not talked about it? Yeah. Um, But I've heard amazing things. Congrats to all the nominees. That's um, of the ones of those. Well, I guess I've only seen two of those. Of those two, those are the two best shot films I've seen this year, though, uh, between Blade Runner 2049 and Dunkirk. Two, two technical masterpieces. Yes. And let's just hope that come Oscar season, Roger Deakins finally gets his due. Long Even overdue. the dang statue. Let's go ahead and get into honorable mentions, though. Honorable mentions is a segment we do twice a month, sometimes once a month. It just depends. And Honorable Mentions is a segment where we are nominating people for the Honorable Mensch Hall of Fame. And what you have to do to become an Honorable Mensch is you, it must be a unanimous vote. We must all vote yes. And then they must have, the nominee must have been in or worked on something to the amount of five films. And then the big thing is, do they pass the blind test? And the blind test is if I knew nothing about this project other than they were working on it, is that enough to make me go see it? So we were just talking, and if all I knew about a movie was that Roger Deakins was the cinematographer on it, is that enough to make me want to go see the movie? And that's the big part. If, if they pass that, and if it's, okay, I know nothing about this movie. It could be about who knows what, but Roger Deakins is being a cinematographer. Okay, I'm interested. That's the big test. We've had people, this is our one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight and a half last episode we nominated michael b jordan threw him in there because he's just that talented and he doesn't need to be conventionally uh nominated and put in there you can't put there have been people box man you can't you just can't it's not fair uh people such as christopher nolan emma stone roger deakins andy circus steve carell meryl streep steven spielberg leonardo DiCaprio, alfonso cuaron uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus, Julie Louis Dreyfus, Gary Oldman. There have been tons of people in this, and so let's go ahead and get to the th- nine, eight, ninth, I guess technically, not counting Michael B. Jordan last week. The ninth class of honorable mentions. Jake, get us started. So this is someone who I'm surprised we haven't put in yet. Um, he's had a storied career in Hollywood, a lot of ups and downs. 
Uh, he helped launch one of the biggest cinematic universes of all time. And most importantly, he knows who he is. He's the dude playing a dude disguised as another dude, Robert Downey Jr. There we go. So I have Robert Downey Jr. on my list of possible nominees. And for everything you just listed, I'm 100% in. Like, there's no doubt in my mind he's an honorable mensch. On the field and I off. Think- the the only bad thing about his involvement in the Marvel universe is that he hasn't really been doing very much else since then, mm-hmm. since these started. Um, but the that is the, the role he was born to play. Oh, definitely, yeah. Except for the, like the questionably iffy Sherlock Holmes, which are kind of fun but a little bit weird. Um, yeah, you're right. He's he's one of the most talented actors alive i think that that's part of the reason why the marvel universe has worked so well i think he's the biggest reason why from an actor standpoint um we've talked about what he's done to the character of iron man and elevated it to the top tier um it was tony stark is truly the character he was born to play i'm not even sure if he's even playing him or if that's just who he is (laughs) um but but he's just so good and if you if you go back and watch um, stuff from his early days. He's fantastic. He's great as Charlie Chaplin. Um, I'm trying to think right now some of the stuff he did in the 90s. Um, before, before, I think I said it was before drug and just breakdown. Did yeah. he do Chaplin? Yeah, Chaplin was back in 92 where he played Charlie yeah. Chaplin. Um, so yeah, he's he's great. I I say I say yes to Robert Downey Jr. Trevor, what is your nominee? Well, shoot, now I'm like sort of second guessing that we've already talked about this person, but I'm going to do it anyway. So this is someone. And if you guys can like totally laugh at me, if we've already talked about him, um, I told you guys that I have trouble staying away from directors. I'm just kind of leaning into it at this point. Um, this is someone who's literally every movie is definitely worth seeing. It's different than everything you've ever seen. Um, he has his own style unto himself and He's just an interesting dude all the way around, and it is Quentin Tarantino. Have we done Tarantino? We haven't done Tarantino yet. Okay. He has not been brought up, and it's a very interesting nominee. Um, okay, I'll, I'm going to lay my cards on the table here and admit something that somebody who has a movie podcast probably shouldn't admit. There are probably three Tarantino films that I actually like out of his <laughs> eight or nine that he's done so far. Um, I think Inglorious Bastards is a masterpiece. Um, Pulp Fiction's very good. And I guess Kill Bill is one movie. And I, I like Kill Bill. But Reservoir Dogs is okay. Jackie Brown's okay. I'm not a huge fan of Django Unchained or Hateful Eight. Uh, uh, give me a sec because I do like Inglorious Bastards. He's just such, he's such a director that he makes, he, he's a very interesting choice. Um, I'm I'll, leaning towards no, but if Jake, maybe Jake can say something that sways so, me. I don't know. Cameron, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like I, I respect the crap out of Tarantino. But really, I th- I think he's made four great movies and then a lot of 
okay movies that are unique. Um, but like Trevor said, no one makes a movie like him. Everyone tries to. And just the fact that he is directing something, it gets butts and in seats, um, including mine. And, and so I think in, in some ways he fits the soul of this idea where like you watch a trailer, you see a plot and you're like, I don't know about this. And then it says directed by Quentin Tarantino. You're like, oh, OK. Yeah. And like it's interesting them announcing recently that he's going to do a Star Wars or not a Star Wars, a Star Trek <laughs> He's gonna do a Star Trek film, and everyone's like, "Oh, whoa, Tarantino Star." Okay, Taran- like just the fact that he's saying that people are excited about the new Star Trek movie, if it's even happening, I don't know. Um, so I say yes to Tarantino. Trevor, let me ask you something. I need you to be a hundred percent honest here. <clears throat> are you nominating him based on his Top Gun speech? <laughs> I I I was gonna mention that if you didn't, because there's no way that we couldn't do it. But Top Gun is one of my favorite movies ever, and Quentin Tarantino has famously said that it's the greatest movie script of all time. <laughs> so so yes, there is a little bit of patronizing going on there. Also, um, a quick aside: Tarantino is such is a storyteller in such a sense that. More than once in all of his films, you laugh at someone dying. And that's like a bizarrely impressive thing for a filmmaker to do. Yeah, but I don't know if I like that that happens. And so that's, <laughs> that's part of my other thing is like thematically, I, I just don't. <sighs> what the big part about this is, do I go see a movie solely because someone's directing? And if Tarantino's directing something, yes, I am more interested in it than not. And the odds of me going to see it because it's ter- like if somebody had told me, hey, I'm going to make a Western film that's three hours long with eight people snowed into a cabin. I would be like, yeah, no, that doesn't sound good. But because Tarantino was directing it, I was like, OK, I'll check it out. So even though I don't fully like all of his movies, I guess I'm going to say yes, because he is somebody who puts butts in seats. He makes movies worth watching. Yeah, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> fine, so fine. You guys win this one. Congratulations, Tarantino. Congratulations. You're reluctantly in. You're reluctantly in. I'm not happy about it, but I have two mentions on this podcast with me, and they vouched for you, so I guess it's fine. <laughs> Wait, do okay. we have to unanimous? Do we have to unanimously approve of each other as mentioned? Yes, <laughs> yes. This is going to get awkward, and that's where yeah, that's where these things are about to get a little awkward with my nominee. This has been um, the last episode of Popcorn Optional. Okay, so I've worked on five or more podcasts. So, <laughs> um, okay, here we go. So my nominee is. My favorite director working in Hollywood right now. And it shocks me that it's taken me nine times to put him in. But every single time I put him on the back burner because I think somebody else is going to put him in. And I'm just like, he'll, he, he'll get in. He deserves it. He's worked on officially six. Um, and every single one except for the first one, which nobody's really ever seen. But the five main ones are all <laughs> classics and amazing films that 
have been in, like we I think we've all talked about all of them and they've all been loved. So my nominee is Edgar Wright. Absolutely. Good. There we go. Uh yeah, I have not seen as many Edgar Wright movies as I would like to have seen. But yeah, this is another guy who I I, I can remember um seeing the trailer for Hot Fuzz and being like, what is this garbage? <laughs> because it was marketed so poorly. Um, it was marketed like it was Reno 911 movie version. Except that it's a fantastic movie that's completely different than what I expected. Um, Baby Driver is my favorite musical of the year, I think. Um, How many musicals have I you think, seen this year? I, th- I mean, that's the only one. It's my favorite musical <laughs> since since Les Mis, probably. Um, but yeah, he's he does interesting things. Every movie is pretty different, um, except for I mean the the uh, the, <laughs> the, the Cornetto trilogy, trilogy, which are all the same movie basically. But besides that, he does a different kind of thing. Yeah, I'm cool with Edgar Wright. I like him. Definitely interested in everything. Yeah, and I Sad think he after didn't get to make Ant Man. Yeah, but at the same time, because he didn't get to make Ant Man, he got to make Baby Driver, and I'm cool with that. Yeah, because the world needs more. Did you guys see that video on Twitter of Ansel Elgort doing donuts on a car in a car on like a frozen over parking lot? Uh. Uh-uh. It was. It was like he tweeted it, and it was something like. Like, don't worry, you're safe with baby. And he like spins out and like does these like insane donuts on a frozen parking lot. Cool. Huh. It was it was pretty awesome. I mean, yeah, because I mean, he did a lot of driving, so he probably learned how to do some awesome stuff. Yeah, while shooting that film. Yeah, I've recently wa- rewatched that film. I got it for Christmas, and man, it is just there ain't nothing wrong with that film, and not a darn thing. So. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., Quentin Tarantino, and Edgar Wright. Welcome to the Honorable Menches as a part of the ninth class. We'll be back soon with a tenth class, but until then, we're going to go ahead and review Molly's Game, the new film from Honorable Mensch, Aaron Sorkin. Wait, hold on. Yes, Honorable Mensch, second class. Yeah, good. he is. Good. Just wanted to make sure really quick before I... Because if not, he was going to be an instant vote-in. Um, Aaron Sorkin, Honorable Mensch, making his directorial debut... Uh, yeah, so this one's interesting. There's nothing really, like, inherently wrong with this movie. Like, if you love an Aaron Sorkin script, you'll probably like this movie. But as much as I love Aaron Sorkin, I think the problem with this movie is that it's, it's like, Sorkin untamed. Like, Sorkin has written some of the best scripts to come out of Hollywood in the last 30 years, but he has handed... He's kind of like passed those batons off to incredible directors to like get across the finish line. And this movie amplifies everything that's great, but also what's wrong with Sorkin. It moves so fast and says so much without really saying anything. It never really gives its characters or us, the viewer, a chance to breathe. Oh my gosh, the amount of voiceover in this movie, so much of it. (laughs) Um, But... All of that being said, I I mostly enjoyed it. Um, it's a crazy story that seems to be at least kind of true, and Jessica Chastain does an incredible job in this role. And so, like, I was entertained. There, I have a lot of a lot of thoughts and complaints about it, 
Um, but I can pretty confidently recommend it to most people. I think they're going to enjoy it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think this is a pretty good movie. Um, it's definitely not a great movie. It's a little bit of a disappointment from Sorkin. I think the script is a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I think that social network and a few good men are two of the greatest scripts of all time. Um, and, and I feel like this is, is just kind of a mediocre to lower level Sorkin movie script. And I was disappointed in the amount of walk and talks in this movie. There were not really very much Zero? of that. Um, this is the kind of a bummer. I said that sort of jokingly, but I also love the walk and talk. Um, the acting performances were great. <laughs> I mean, basically this is a movie about Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba. Um, they're in the vast majority of it. Jessica Chastain is in every scene. I think, um, she's great, but yeah, the voiceover is so much, there's so much dialogue. How long is this script? Is it like 150 pages? It's um, so much. And goes it's just so talking fast. and talking. It's basically like a, it's like a long play. Um, that you can't make a play because there's too many flashbacks and it moves too fast or something. I don't, it's, I have a lot of complaints about it, but I don't think it's bad. I think it's actually a pretty good movie. So it's sort of a weird thing. Like you were saying, Jake. Yeah. I'm kind of with you guys. There are, I remember at a certain point in this movie thinking, you know, this is, this is fun, but I was It bothered me that I was thinking about the quality of the movie while I was watching it instead of just like, like when I watched Social Network for the first time, I was just enthralled beginning to end. I mean, and same with Moneyball and Steve Jobs. Something, I don't know what it was about this. I don't know if it was the pacing or the subject matter um, or the length and something needed to be cut, Uh, but it, it, it wasn't up to the past Sorkin scripts. Um. And I don't think that's a knock on Sorkin as a director because I think overall the movie is a good movie. But there was something that was missing that didn't make it feel as Sorkin-y as past things have. Uh, he does a great job directing the actors here. And there's a couple times where uh, Idris Elba goes off. There's a scene between Kevin Costner and Jessica Chastain that's just uh, one of my favorite scenes of the year. And I think this film does a lot of really good things. Um, I think when it's good, it's great. And when it's bad, it's mm, passable and just kind of what you would expect from this story if anybody other than Sorkin was doing it. Uh, it doesn't have that. It doesn't have so the yeah. crescendo that a lot of Sorkin stories do. It doesn't well up this like emotion and belief in like a better world and better people like a lot of Sorkin stuff yeah. does. The whole time I was sitting there waiting for that, like, I'll call it the Mark moment and Trevor will know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But the Mark moment is the moment where your jaw just drops uh, as you're watching something. And uh, the the you can't handle the truth moment. Yes. Uh, Sorkin is famous for those moments and always does a very good job with them. But I, I think that Kevin Costner, Jessica Chastain scene got close to that but and maybe even hit that but hit it in a very different way than i was used to this is a film that i can say that and i think i saw this saturday and so it's been you know three days now since i've seen it and i will say the film has gotten better in my mind since i went to go see it 
Um, like most Sorkin scripts, I just still don't know if it reaches the level. And I mean, it's a hard level to reach. Sorkin's scripts are always pretty great. Um, what do you guys think of Sorkin's uh, first time directing? Um, it's it's kind of weird because this is a movie that um, unless you like super knock it out of the park or like do something super different. This isn't a director's movie, if that makes sense. It's very much like a performance film for the actors. Um, I think I, I kind of stand by what I said earlier, though, is it's just like I think it's too Sorkin-y. Like the fact that it's his script mm. and his directing, um, he just loves that fast pace, roll you over with dialogue and uh, we don't have someone like David Fincher here to do a hundred takes to find the right version of it. Um, this is this is a typical Sorkin script in the manner of which, basically, for two hours, uh, the characters are saying what you wish you had said after an argument with somebody. It's it's too perfect. <laughs> it's too wordy. It's too punchy, and it's being received too well by the other person in the scene for how emotional the argument is um i think it's pretty like for a directorial debut it's pretty great but um i don't know aaron sorkin is like kind of set himself up for failure in a weird way when you write that many good screenplays and then this is how you direct your first film i don't know i it's not bad, but it's kind of a disappointment in my opinion, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, it does make sense. Yeah, I think I think his biggest I think the most negative thing I can say about him is that this movie is too long for what it is. Um it probably could have lost twenty minutes, twenty five minutes maybe. If this thing was the same thing, the quick, fast talking, in and out story in like an hour forty five, I think it's a better movie. Um I don't I, I think that you can cut some of the backstory. Um I think that you can not quite do as many flashbacky things, but but I don't know, you don't want to cut out Idris Elba because he's great. Yeah. Um but but yeah, I think that as far as Sorkin what he does, I think he gets great performances out of his cast i think um like jake said though i mean you're just kind of telling a story here that's not there's not a lot of different kind of things you can do it from a do with it from a director standpoint but i think he does a good job um ultimately but i agree with jake a little disappointed do you guys and i've been trying to figure out like where this movie ultimately fails because there's nothing about it like there's a spot here or there where it's kind of like okay move on but outside of that I can't think of anything that's terrible um where do you guys think this movie ultimately I know you guys have said like it's a little long it's a little um too perfect but is there anything else where that you guys feel like this movie doesn't do right like or that uh fails in I this movie to do that we'd have to get into spoilers for me to give my full thoughts on why why it doesn't work for me so let's get into that let's go ahead and get into spoilers if you haven't seen the movie yet molly's game is playing nationwide now probably playing at a movie theater near you so go check it out come back 
and listen to the rest of this episode. But let's go ahead and get into spoilers. Um, okay, so here's my thing with the movie. It's, it's entertaining. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty good movie. Like The th- people in my theater were very entertained by it. Uh, for me, it doesn't have very much impact, uh, just in terms of the story. Like, yeah, it's, it's an incredible and I guess inspiring story, but in, (laughs) in typical Sorkin fashion, he's inflated it with this importance and morality that isn't deserved. Like Molly is clearly a smart person, but she keeps making dumb and illegal decisions that put herself into dumber and more illegal spots. And the quote moral is that it's like tough for her to make it in the world without selling herself. Like she's, she's played the game, dressed the part, took advantage of men's greed. And she started feeling comfortable and let her guard down. And then she chose to break the law. So we celebrate that. Like she's a weirdly nebulous character and it's hard to care for. And that it's her story. And so it's like, hard to care about her story and you know there's the anti-hero in film there's the godfather there's breaking bad and um but in all of those stories there's a reason behind the bad you know and and this doesn't for me this doesn't justify it like i don't know it, it i just never bought it i never understood why we were rooting for her. Um, it was just an interesting situation that she kept mistakenly putting herself further into. Yeah. The problem, the reason why I can put up with the Sorkin ridiculousness and the, the perfect world and perfect people he does a lot is because they're always something that's worth striving towards. Like, um, like, like, like Andrew Shepard in the American president, like he's, he's a flawed character, but, but he's someone who wants to do the right thing and do a good thing. Um, even, um, the, like, like in, like in the newsroom, Jeff Bridges character is someone where you're like, what if someone told the news like this or did the news like that? That would be fantastic. It's never going to happen, but it's worth dreaming about. And I think he gets, he gets kind of criticized for writing those kind of characters in those kind of situations. But in this case, this isn't really like I didn't watch this movie and be like, you know what? Like that was a little crazy, but I wish I could be just like Molly Bloom. Like that would really make a difference in the world or really do something good. This just doesn't have it doesn't have that feel. It doesn't have the stakes. It almost felt like he and and I hate to continually mention The Social Network, but this is a really similar kind of movie to The Social Network in structure and. Um, and he was involved in both, but the thing with the social network was that was hitting you in the face was that you had like just been on your Facebook 30 minutes before you walked into the theater yeah, and you felt this like bizarre connection to what was going on. And there's, there's no connection for the regular person here. At least, at least I didn't think so. So is that because it's a poker film or is that because... Cause I'm trying to figure out like, and, and this is partially me trying to go through and figure out where the movie falls for me because ultimately it, it hits all the checks that I would want in a movie, but is still missing something. And I think Jake hit it on the head where he talks about, you know, it's not, there's nothing to root for this character for. I mean, she's, 
other than the fact that it's, you know, she may not be deserving of going to jail. Like she's kind of a scapegoat in a way. Um, but I think that she's, I think the way that I looked at this movie was that it was more like a breaking bad story of trying to show us this projection of how somebody could get from being an Olympic athlete to running a hundred million dollar, um, uh, poker game. And I thought that it did a pretty good job of that other than kind of detailing her motivation behind keeping it going. I think most people would get to a certain point in this. Well, I get it. I just struggle with this. And this is the hard thing is Sorkin's easily one of my favorite writers, but it's just not every year that there's been a Sorkin film. Let me say this every year. There's been a Sorkin film. That Sorkin film has been a top three best movie of that year for me because of the script. And this just isn't. And not to say that it's bad, but it just doesn't live up to the hype of other Sorkin things. I think it's because it's the entire film is telling and not showing. Like, we are never involved as a viewer in the realization of what's going on. It's just like, it's just being shoved down our throats. And it's, it's Sorkin. And so it like, it tastes good, but it's like, I don't want to eat this. I'm full. So stop it. Um, the only the only showing we get is Jessica Chastain in designer dresses. That's yeah. the showing part of the story. Exactly. I, I, I just think that that's the that's the job of the filmmaker is to figure out a way to tell a story um, in a way that makes it relatable or at the end makes you ask questions about yourself on like why you can't relate to that without it basic like I could have just this movie should have just been like a 10 second thing that just said buy the book end of film because that's what this was it was just like nonstop words from the book in your face with like very little moment of like the character no, I I think I think you're right, Jake. I was gonna say that this is one of the most boring, interesting films I've ever seen, but I think a better way to say it is it's the best book on tape that I've ever seen. Yes, that's what <laughs> I was trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I, that, that's what it I is. I think this is a movie that you could kind of listen to, like you could put this screen down on your phone in your car. And definitely listen to you it. could get uh, like ninety five percent of the story just by listening. Some yes. of my that's one hundred percent true. Favorite parts from Aaron Sorkin's films, Social Network, Moneyball, um, are moments of just like watching the character physically go through something, um, like seeing right. Jesse Eisenberg do the little ticks of of Mark Zuckerberg and. Um, seeing Brad Pitt and Moneyball go to the gym and work out instead of watching the games and the music swelling. And like, I literally cannot tell you one moment like that in this Wait, movie. I, was there any music in this movie? Was this movie scored at all? Actively noticed there wasn't very much music. I think there was very little, if anything. It does sort and of I, bizarre. Right. Um, I think... For as good of a writer as Sorkin is at dialogue, he's often 
as Jake just mentioned, best when he's capturing the silence. And I mean, that happens quite a bit in the social network, like in that scene where they're on the river of, and that I'll give part of that to Fincher as a director of how he shot that and the music that played behind it. But at the same time, it's the scene on the river where the, uh, Winklevi are <laughs> rowing is pretty powerful in a scene of itself. And uh, there's nothing like that in this movie. Those kind of wow. There's moments. no contrast. The, the, like there's a, you need, yeah. you need the silence for the dialogue to stick. Like, for for the characters, right. but also for the viewer, um, we have to have time to like take the, in what just happened, and then those <laughs> those just like little moments of a character just sitting there and thinking, like that's character development, right? The that scene where Brad Pitt in Moneyball is listening to his daughter play guitar and singing yeah. that song. I mean, it's like, it's not the song, it's how Brad Pitt reacts to that that's amazing. And this may be at odds with what I've said already, but the bizarre thing here is that I feel like the most interesting parts of this movie are, like, happening inside the lawyer's office. Um, The interactions there between Molly and Charles. And I feel like, but we jump from those, like we were saying, we jump from those to like the intense scenes of the poker game and the her getting beat up and meeting with mobsters and that kind of thing. There is, you're right, there's no like space to breathe and think. Our only time to to breathe is during dialogue because that's all that's happening in this movie. Right. And what's frustrating about that is the fact that like Molly, the big moments of the movie are not Molly's moments. They're people having moments on behalf of Molly. There's that huge scene uh, during her deposition, I guess. And, you know, Idris Elba gets that moment of standing up for her. And then there's that moment on the bench between her and her dad played by Kevin Costner. And really that's kind of Kevin Costner's scene because that's, you know, his big part in the movie. And so what's frustrating is for this character that's our main character, we're not given a moment, her moment, really. Like there's that one scene where she's talking about – she. The reason why she won't give up her hard drives is because, you know, we finally get to that point where she's like, it's because it's my name. Uh, I'm not giving it up because it would ruin my name. And that's all that she really has left. And that's a pretty powerful moment. But that moment's eclipsed by these two other moments with Idris Elba and Kevin Costner. So I feel like Molly's never given her due. Yeah. Like she's not given that moment. In an ideal movie, she would have that moment in court or standing up to somebody or showing some sort of change or something. And she has it, but it's a small sliver compared to the two bigger moments. I just, we're never shown why she's worth standing up for, um, I guess. I, I, think that's, I think that's maybe where, why those things don't have as much weight as they could. Do you mean why she's worth standing up for, like for Idris Elba standing up for her or for her dad? Well, I mean, or, for her dad, her? I mean, I guess it's kind of inherent, but but yeah, the right the, the thing with the the great speech that the Idris Elba gives that uh, his character Charles gives that, um, but we don't. I mean, we felt like Molly's like pretty cool, I guess, and she's pretty smart, but like she's not like I don't know, she's not a she's victim. not this. 
And then why does Idris Elba even take the case? Like, we don't. Why we never find yeah, that it's, out? It's just his, his like his this, daughter. His daughter asked him to. That's what he says that. But because yeah. like, his daughter looked up like to Molly. No, but that was after she read the book. But after he took her on. No, she. I think she had read the book and then told her dad because she knew during that first meeting who Molly was, and I think that she had read the book. I think that what they're trying to allude to, and it's not very clear, but I think what they were trying to allude to is that she had read the book. Well. Um. Didn't do a yeah. good job of explaining that one, Sorkin. I, <laughs> I think my thing there is like, I think, yes, they never give us a definitive answer of why she's worth standing up for. But I think it's one of those things where it's like nobody should ever be taken advantage of or abused. And that's kind of where, you know, Idris Elba sees this person who, yeah, she's not sparkly clean. But at the same time, she doesn't deserve to be in the case that she's in where she's lost millions of dollars and is about to face years in prison. And I think that he kind of sees that as an injustice and just that's that's a she is. A, I mean, because if she doesn't even name the only people that she names in her book are the people that were already named in other trials. Yeah, that's a great and a worthwhile theme. I'm not sure this is the story to get that theme across in a in a really efficient way. Or impactful way. Yeah, and we should mention we should mention that Idris Elba's character is not based on her actual lawyer. Her actual lawyer is someone completely different. Um, and Aaron Sorkin has said that you know he wanted the character of Charlie Jaffe to be a character that fit whatever the story needed and could mold to whatever the story needed for that purpose. And so, I mean, this does that dilute the story at all for you guys knowing that such a huge character isn't actually realistic. I mean, from what I know, most of this story is very true to part. Um, if anything, it's toned down a little bit in some areas. Well, I'll say but the Charlie Jaffe character is made. It up. sounds like that if he hadn't made that character up, wouldn't, he wouldn't have a movie. Yeah. I right. think filmmaking is lying. I mean, the whole thing's a big lie. Like we're, <laughs> we're constantly cheating the shot. Like in post I'm making people say whatever I kind of want them to say for the story. Um, we use VFX and plugins to make people look better, look totally different. So, I mean, if it, if it tells the story, I can accept some bending of the truth on a micro level, as long as the macro story stays intact. Yeah. And I think that's done here. I mean, I was listening to an interview today with uh, Aaron Sorkin and Molly Bloom where uh, that scene with the mobster in her hotel room really did happen. Um, the scene where that guy loses all the money really did happen. In fact, the biggest amount that she ever saw a guy lose in a single night, which isn't told in the movie, is that she saw a guy lose $100 million in a night and showed up with the check the next Jesus. day. Which I just can't even imagine, first of all, like $100 million. I think I lost $40 one time in a casino and I think, I think that's I think that kind of gets at the core of why this movie doesn't resonate with me. It's just yeah. this like unfathomable fathomable thing. That's that's a like, good just, point. Because yeah. it's like with social network and Steve Jobs and everything, it's the quest for success, like you said, Cameron, and it's connection. And the and, evidence is in your pocket. Yeah, and like social network is we're living through that right now. And even with like 
a few good men. It's, it's finding justice, like things that even though most of us will never sit in a military courtroom as a jag, like we can all aspire for truth and justice. Whereas this is like this weird world that most people are just like, who the hell does this? Who are these people? Right. That's a good point. Yeah, that's very true. Um, do you guys, will you guys ever look at Tobey Maguire? The I same was, way? I was yeah. going to say, we have to talk about how great of a job Michael Sarah did as playing Tobey Maguire. So it really was uh, Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Well, it's kind so of, an, it's supposedly Tobey yeah. Maguire, but it may also be like a composite of like Toby, Leonardo DiCaprio and Ben Affleck. Like there's parts of kind of so each of them. Tobey Maguire is definitely the one who just likes people people's lives ruined right of those three it's gotta be him yes and who has that like the intro scene where he's like dude i have better cards than you and then like shows them to him after bluffing him and being like f you like that actually happened that was actually Tobey Maguire. that's insane that doesn't surprise that doesn't surprise me at all actually little peter parker so have fun watching (laughs) spider-man there we go yeah it's just it's one of those things that in our current climate where I respect her for not outing people and for not like giving up as many people. Cause I think that there are people whose careers could have been ruined. Like she says, if she had gone all out in the book, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm very curious. Like it's just such an interesting look into the behind the scenes of these people who try to make themselves look like perfect all American that, people. That idea of ruining people's lives by revealing their own actions is not compelling to me whatsoever. Same. I was like, like girl, if, do it. If you Come don't, if you don't, dicks. if you don't want, right. If you don't want your life to be ruined, then don't do things that will ruin your life. I, I mean, Oh, hundred percent. That, that, that is that whole thing. When she kept talking about that, like, on a surface level, you're like, oh, I understand that. But then you start thinking about it, you're like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. What is what are these people why on earth are you their guardian? What yeah. how did this happen? Yeah, that scene where they're like, where are like I think it's Idris Elba who's, you know, talking about where are they defending you, being like, Molly, thanks for having my back when she's, you know, lost five million dollars and is about to go to court or about to go to jail for a couple of years. That scene, I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Where are they? Like, none of them are helping you out. That goes back to the points that we've made of it's just like, it's really hard to relate with these situations and make them have weight because, uh, I mean, as interesting as a character as Molly is and as interesting as her story is, she just keeps making like dumb decisions. Yeah. But then like she and, makes I mean, I these, can say, like, uh, giant dumb decisions and then a bunch of smart ones in between. Oh yeah. Like crazy smart. Yes. But it's like, girl, you gotta look out for number one. <laughs> right. hundred percent. Okay. And don't yeah, do that, Adderall. That too. Question, question. You guys have brought up the Kevin Costner Chastain bench scene. What did yes. you think about it? Are you asking us because we're dads? No, I'm I'm asking like <laughs> what did you what did you think about it? I thought it was amazing. I thought it was yes, there I'm I'm going to guess that you were going to say that there are parts that are a little bit like preachy and like 
you want three years of psychology in three minutes? Here we go. I thought that was pretty great. Um, I I think the way that conversation is structured is pretty clever and entertaining. That scene, what ultimately tied me in that moment was everything was building towards that moment where he then goes, I'm going to find whoever did that to you and hurt them. And he just like breaks down. Like that was the moment where I was like, crap. Like, I don't, that was the most relatable thing that I had seen in the movie. Okay. Of that feeling of like somebody hurting somebody that you love and being like, I would do whatever it takes to make that go away or like make them know that that's not okay. And I don't, I'm not advocating for violence in any way, but it's, I think Kevin Costner uses it. I seriously doubt that her dad went after those guys, but I think he uses it as a way of being like, I would do anything to make that, to try and make that right. Did that really happen? What do you think? Do of we it? know if that a- no the mobster the, scene the or the bench, bench scene? scene did that actually happen? Oh no, I don't. I don't. We don't know if that actually happened. Let's be honest. <laughs> I seriously doubt that her dad was just casually in New York at the ice rink that yeah. she was. So, at. I the dialogue and the writing that takes place on the bench is good. But like the four minutes leading up to that are so bad and feel like a totally different movie that it took me out. <laughs> the of ice the skating. Movie. Like first off, <laughs> what are you doing? Th- like this is silly. Secondly, let's cast someone that can actually skate if we're gonna have a Jessica Chastain <laughs> stunt double skating around the ice like this. And also, let's do some better green screen work to make it look some somewhat yes. good like it felt like a totally different movie and then it was like oh hey i'm kevin costner what's up um just also why do you have to green screen yeah, it, it was just so like so and after, it was so mcguffin so it comes, just perfect it comes in right after this like first like this kind of glimpse of humanity with Molly where she wants a hot dog and she only has $2 and not three and has to buy a pretzel, you know, like yeah. everyone yeah. can kind of resonate with that. Like you want something and you, Oh man, I only have $2, not $3. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, you have this bizarre thing where she like has this hallucination out of body experience. Um, I don't know. I was expecting yeah. her to like, like I really wanted the That's Tesla was gonna happen. that drove itself, <laughs> but instead I just bought a Porsche. Yeah. It, it, I, the skating scene was, I get really what you're bad. going for, Jake. That's a good, yeah, that's yeah, a bad but scene. The and the part where she gives up her $800 yeah, Chanel gloves. All of that felt like a really bad beginning of a romantic comedy. <laughs> and, and then it, it was like, Oh, some deep Aaron Sorkin level talking on a bench with uh, Kevin Costner, who is now like the Hollywood dad. Like, oh, you need some dad to drop some wisdom? Let's hire Kevin Costner. I'll um, say, I think he did a better job as Molly Bloom's dad than he did as Clark Kent's dad. Well, in that moment, yeah. oh, for 100% as, a, sure. as a dad as a whole in the whole film, I'm going to say no. No, I meant I meant it acting, not, <laughs> yes. as, not as... Okay, yeah. Yes. Because... Molly's dad's kind of a douche. So No, yeah. But he's great at <laughs> it. Yeah. Great at being a douche. I will always just I'll always picture Kevin Costner just going, 
Give me another word for weakness or quit or whatever. Yeah, another or word for tired. tired. Another her word for like, tired. Weakness. Weak. There it is. And then her being like weakness, and then like I'm gonna go again. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Also, that's not that's not really a synonym. <laughs> Those are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I would be willing to look it up. I'll look it up right now. You yeah. guys keep going. The, I'll look it up just the, to confirm. The performance between them on the bench, great. The setup and payoff was not there for me. Yeah. I can confirm on thethoros.com, weakness is not an synonym for tired. Just so we're all clear. Thesaurus.com. Exhausted and weird. If you're wondering, Thesaurus, we're available for sponsorships. <laughs> if you're listening to this. We'll do we'll do one <laughs> synonym a week. <laughs> yes. And this week our synonym is I'm curious, like where Molly is now. Like what's the after effect of all of this? Well, let me do a quick let me do I a think quick that was Google. Like... <laughs> Where is Molly Bloom now? Because I mean, like, where her, like, my like, I can tell you uh, that yeah. her brother, who played and didn't play in the NFL, but was drafted in the NFL and was a world champion skier, who I didn't know, I knew who Jeremy Bloom was, but I did not know that they were related before I saw this movie. I know that he is a very successful yeah. tech entrepreneur. Is he really? Yes, he is. He was a a big deal in Colorado because he was the kicker for he was he was a uh, University he was a wide of Colorado. Receiver. Oh yeah, he was he was like Shoot. a really good I athlete. Up, he was yeah. also the subject of like an NCA lawsuit or a lawsuit against the NCA because they said he was academically ineligible because he made money um, from skiing. That's right. Yeah, he was later ruled eligible to play yeah. college sports. I will say, I always love the stories, and this is one of my favorite, one of my favorite lines in a movie of all time is in Garden State, and Zach Braff is sitting there, and he's talking about, part of the movie is, you know, he he accidentally pushed his mom in a moment of anger when he was a child, and when he was 10, and his mom tripped over a dishwasher and was paralyzed, and the dishwasher door had fallen open because there was a broken latch, and one of the lines at the end of the movie is, you know, it's amazing how much of my life has been determined by a quarter inch of plastic. And I think this, that that applies to this too, of how much of her life was dictated by a branch from a pine tree in the snow. Yeah. Um, and that's stories like that are always kind of interesting to me, just how you can go from that place to another place. Uh, but ultimately I feel like we've talked a lot about where this movie misses, but I think there's, a lot of things this movie do does you, right. I mean, the acting's great. Do you want a quick update on where Molly Molly Bloom is in life? Okay. Yes. Break some news on the podcast. Yeah. So um, she says that she has been hugely successful in her life um, and also had many failures. And she's learning to do something good with the failures. And so what she's doing now is she wants to help women be successful. And so she's helping develop local co-working spaces for women uh, to help them grow their own legal businesses. Um, (laughs) And she said she spent years building the most exclusive and decadent high-profile clubs for powerful men 
And now she's opening the doors for ambitions, ambitious women so they can connect, grow, and succeed together. So there you go. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Uh, I mean, the performances are amazing. Like, yeah, one of my one of my most memorable experiences in the theater was um, an old couple that was sitting next to me that wouldn't shut up, and <laughs> <laughs> during Idris Elba's big rousing speech, who Idris Elba is phenomenal in this movie. Halfway through it, the old man goes, Robert De Niro. He reminds me of Robert De Niro. And so, <laughs> high, high praise. Dang. That is high praise. It gets like, that was like the fifth time I had to shush them. So I was like, shut up, please. Um, but yeah, all the performances in this movie are fantastic. This movie's weird. It's tough to review something like this because there's moments of greatness. Uh, I loved the first hour of this movie, but I think Sorkin's Sorkininess gets the best of him here. And so uh, I'm just going to give it a C plus. You know, it's just like right down the middle. I think it's it's good. Most people are going to enjoy it, but there are a lot of things wrong with it that for me it was hard to look past. So C plus. I had been liking this movie more since I saw it, and now that we've talked about it, I think I like it less. Sorry. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to give it a 372 out of $450 a week. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Wait, hold because on. Because I'm going to do the math on that. That is an 82% B minus. Yeah. That's right, B minus. Would you believe that I I made sure that I that my math actually added up to something that I agreed with? Wouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> so right before this, uh, I watched one of the new Dave Chappelle specials on Netflix, and guys, Dave Chappelle's just the best. Like he he really is just the best stand up comedian working right now, in my opinion. Super funny, really poignant. Um, would highly recommend it. And then another recommend. Um, we talk about movies and music, and we see a lot of them, and we tell you to go watch them. And, you know, I'm just going to tell you, go outside and take a walk. Because it, it helps, guys. It, it helps. Nature, content of the week. Go outside. <laughs> Your body needs the vitamin D. Stop the streaming. Go outside. We don't know how much longer it's going to be there. Donald Trump has the <laughs> nuclear codes. Okay, Trevor, what's your recommend? All right, so um, if you liked this movie, you will probably like the World Series of Poker reruns on ESPN2, <laughs> Monday through Thursday afternoons, um, all throughout the spring. Um, that's, that's obviously a joke. Watching poker on television is literally the worst. <laughs> literally the worst. Um I don't even know if those are the days and times it's actually on, but it seems like it would be. Um, I I kind of struggled with content of the week. I've been not doing a lot as far as consuming content. Um, I do have a fun little thing. If you enjoy Star Wars and enjoy video games that, that can waste a little time and also live on your phone, there's the Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes app, and it is free. And it's a turn-based fighting game. Um, where you where you build a squad of, of um, 
Star Wars characters and fight battles and do different kinds of attacks. It's a very simple, very easy thing to pick up and play for three or four minutes at a time. Um, and it's got that Star Wars theme, you know, that we all love. Um, I am going to recommend a film that I watched this past week called Brad's Status, directed by Mike White, who wrote School of Rock, um, starring Ben Stiller. And it is a fantastic movie. It came out this year, uh, I think it's September, in limited release, and it's it's going to be on my top ten. It was very well done. Kind of just hits you at a certain spot in life. And, uh, yeah, incredibly well done. Also, on that... Just on the topic of Molly's game, go watch anything that Aaron Sorkin has ever had his hand in. They're all great, oh, yeah. and they're all worth that's watching. What I should have so anything Sorkin's ever done. Oh, there we go. Um, but that's all we have for this week. If you've liked listening to us, go ahead and give us a review on iTunes and share us with a friend. That's going to be the best way for you to show us appreciation and just kind of let us know what you think about the podcast. Uh, if you want to interact with us more, you can find us on Twitter at Popcorn Optional. You can go to our website at popcornoptional.com. We're also on Facebook at Popcorn Optional. My name is Cameron Salina, and you can find me online at 321 Time. Jake, where can we find you online? You can find my website, or you can find me on Instagram at jakebrown.tv. Trevor? I am at Turbo Trevor on Twitter and Instagram. Alrighty, until next time, pop, pop. Bye. Later.